Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Talk Show. I am Mitchell Kaminsky. What a roller coaster in the world of sports. We got a lot to get into and we'll give you a little extra time this week since we were off last week for the Thanksgiving holiday. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, mine was fantastic. Bears beat the Lions. Mind you, it was ugly. I mean, it, it's what you expect from a Bears-Lions game on Thanksgiving. I don't know why the NFL insists on putting the Bears on every week, but uh, boy, that was a uh, that was a shit show, that game, in all aspects. I mean, coming into the game, you have Matt Nagy, who is about to... Uh, about to get fired, uh, so they don't know if he's going to have a job or not. The reports are coming in that he's getting fired after the game uh, during the week, and they threw him out there for a press conference. You know, say what you will about Matt Nagy. I- I've always liked him a little bit better than most. Like, can he run an offense? No. But they made the playoffs two out of his last. I cut him a little more slack than, than most. Most people want to see him out. You know, I- I'm a little indifferent. D- does he... He can't run an offense. He hasn't been good this year. There's been a lot of things. He has not done his job well. But uh, regardless of what you think of him as a head coach, the Bears did this man dirty. Like, this report comes out. They don't release any statement or anything saying, oh, yes, we we confirm or deny these reports. We stand by our coach. No, they just threw him out there to the media, and he has to answer this this firestorm himself and put him in a really awkward position. Uh, It's bad enough that they got people chanting to fire him at his kid's high school game. Like, the man's job's hard enough already, and now the Bears make it even worse, you know, trying to prepare for a football game, too, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, we just heard a report that you're about to get fired, and he's in a press conference. How is he supposed to answer that, especially if that's first he was hearing about it because I don't think the Bears passed along the news to him so really bad from the, the Bears standpoint right there and that's leading up to this game on Thanksgiving meanwhile you got the Lions they're looking for their first win at the, both quarterbacks are hurt for a while we thought it was gonna be Tim Boyle versus Andy Dalton so really everything you could want from uh one of the worst football games <laughs> matchups at, at the Thanksgiving game in recent memory but it's funny too because we were picturing if like he got fired before the game even starts, they're saying, oh, yeah, Matt Nagy's probably going to get fired. So, like, how are they going to fire him? Like, especially because Matt Nagy does that club dub thing every time the Bears win a game. So, like, imagine he's there celebrating, and Virginia McCaskey has to come in a club dub. She's got, like, glitter in her hair from whatever the hell's going on. Oh, by the way, Matt, like, you come here for a second to stop the dancing. Uh, here's your pink slip. <laughs> the door hits you in the ass on the way out. But, um, yeah, Bears won, long story short. Cowboys lost. I considered it successful Thanksgiving. But between football, I mean, the college football world, MLB world, we got a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. College football, big news besides the playoff. Coaching changes, shaking up the college football landscape. Lincoln Riley heading to USC. And then uh, Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame, going to LSU. Uh, For USC, I think that's a good move. For Lincoln Riley, you got a good coach there, and I can understand why he did it. It's Los Angeles, big market, you know, uh, Southern California. I mean, it's going to take a while to rebuild that program, but uh, I think adding Lincoln Riley is not only good for USC, it is good for the Pac-12 in general. Because let's be honest, folks, the Pac-12 is kind of a dying conference right now. Like You talk about the Big 12, you know, with all these teams leaving, being a dying but the, but, like, the Pac-12 hasn't been relevant in forever. Last time they were relevant was a couple of years of Marcus Mariota when Oregon was good. And, uh, you know, flashes of Oregon this year. But otherwise, like, no one's staying up to watch those games on the East Coast. 
or here in Chicago. I, I'm not watching these nine o'clock Pac-12 games. The the teams aren't that good. They never have any serious contenders. Like even Oregon, you can do like they lost to Stanford. But as soon as that happened, you knew like this not team's not. You know, they're not a legit power. There's no one in that conference that you look at and you fear them when they're on the schedule. Like, oh, no. Just play Utah. UCLA. Oh, no. It's just, there's not a whole lot there. That's not a whole lot going for it. And I think now you have a big-name coach and a huge brand like USC that really college football is better when USC is better. It's just one of those big blue-blood programs that the sport's better when USC's better, and I think he's going to help return to prominence. So that's a good hiring there. LSU, you also got a stud with Brian Kelly. Now, Brian Kelly's being, he's been taken to the woodshed this week. All over, people are ripping this man, and justifiably so. Now, but before we get into that, let me just defend Brian Kelly for for a second. Because... Is it a bad look? Yes. And we'll get into that. But just for the decision, people ripping him for the decision. Oh, why would you leave Notre Dame? It's a big program there. You, you know, he's the winningest coach of all time in Notre Dame. I mean, I understand why he left. I do not blame him at all at all for leaving. That's for starters. Like, he doesn't owe Notre Dame anything. He made them relevant again. Before Chip Kelly, Brian Kelly, excuse me. Before Brian Kelly, what was Notre Dame? Nothing. Nothing. They were mediocre. The, the mid... It's like the, the 10 years prior, you know, that program was on the decline. Living in the glory days. They're kind of like Nebraska football. Now, Brian Kelly gets there. He turns that thing around. He gets them to a couple national championship games. They make the college football playoff a couple times despite not being in a conference. He's winning his coach at all in the Notre Dame's history over there. He did everything right. He's winning you 10 games a season. So he wants a new challenge, wants to go to a little warmer weather down at LSU. I don't blame him. You know, it's a different challenge. They have marquee games every year against Alabama. Texas A&M, you're playing these tough, tougher teams. Georgia, you're playing tougher teams. It's a tougher conference, you know, but a bigger brand. So be it. I mean, I can understand the move. And two, I was like, well, you know, he said he was going to stay earlier. And I think he actually meant it, like when he was saying it. But every man has the price. Like you're telling me right now, someone puts a $100 million contract in front of you. You're not leaving your job right today. You're not jumping ship. Like, imagine being in his shoes. Well, you are so good. Well, most of you guys can't uh, imagine being it. Like, I, I can't at this point in time either. Well, you are so good at something that, like, you could be bought and so Like, they're offering you $100 million to move. People say they wouldn't move or they're loyal. Oh, we're loyal. You're only loyal because you don't have the option to, to pick where you want to go or jump ship with the, the amount of money he's being offered. Where people can buy you. They want to buy you. You're a commodity. Most people don't have that luxury. So that's why everyone rips up. Oh, why ain't being loyal? But let's be honest. If you are being honest with yourself and you're looking in the mirror, if you were so as good as your job as Brian Kelly was and you got offered $100 million to jump ship, yeah, you wouldn't think twice about leaving your current situation, job, company, whatever. Loyally be damned. You're taking the money. There's, everyone has their price. Apparently that was his. Now, where you can't criticize Brian Kelly, not for the move. I mean, I understand the decision. Where you can't criticize him is how he handled the exit. Now, what people have to understand is, like, oh, how could he do this to his team that's in the playoff, college football playoff? He clearly wanted to jump at this opportunity, wanted to take the job. With recruiting, the way it starts, there's early uh, commitment signing period coming up. LSU doesn't have a coach that's costing him a lot of recruits during the early signing period. So they had to make announce the deal quickly, get it going. So during this recruiting period, which starts way too early, I'd be an advocate for pushing it back. Then you wouldn't have these awkward coaching changes right now. But that's why he jumped when he did, because he had to, because recruiting period. No one's going to be an early commit to LSU if they see there's no coach there. Who's going to do that? 
So yeah, that's why you have to announce it quickly. That's why, same thing with Lincoln Riley. Jumping ship when he did. So you can't blame him for leaving early. The timing of it, I get it. And I get the fact that, look, he was asking his players to play hard for him all year, and uh, now he's leaving when they have a chance to make the college football playoff. That's, that sucks. That does suck. And from his perspective, too, he's asking these guys to play hard for him and trust them all year, you know, be together, and then he jumps ship out of So players have a right to be upset. That's just why he did it. This is where you can criticize him, though. The way he handled it on the way out of Notre Dame, that was the complete opposite of class. He made an ass of himself. His exit. Because that is a tough decision. It is tough timing. It's brutal. You can understand why, but, like, if you're going to do it, you'll at least be a little, you know, for the people that have put in all this time for you, and, you know, you put a lot of time into Notre Dame, you'd think, Notre Dame, you would think at least, one, he'd have the decency to tell his players ahead of time, look, I'm thinking of doing this. This could come out in the next couple of days. That's number one. Number two, not letting him find out over social media. They can hear from him directly. Number three, not texting him uh, late in the evening, being like, yeah, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow to explain this. And then during said meeting, it lasts two minutes, and then you're in and out of the door. Like, that, that's, um, that's, um, that's bogus. Like, and he ghosted, apparently, all of his assistants, all these Notre Dame officials. Hey, you can't have that. You know, if, especially for a place that you've been for so long, and these players are really busted their ass for you all season, you have a chance to make the college football playoff, you're still hanging in there, you at least owe him a good explanation. you, you got to look him in the eye and address him and answer any questions. He did a two-minute speech and then bolted. And that's just, that's poor form. That is poor form. That is where you can criticize him. Not for moving, not for taking the deal, not for the timing of it, but the way he handled it, What you you, you do have to explain yourself and have the decency to, 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 to talk to a man-to-man. And I think he kind of slunk out. And then he has a history doing this, too. I mean, he announced he was leaving Cincinnati at a team banquet. He, he slipped out of his job at Central Michigan. Early. Like, there's been stories of this in the past where he has not treated people right. He did not treat the people at Notre Dame very well when he didn't take that job. And if I'm a recruit for LSU, I'd notice that. Would I want to play for Brian Kelly? Absolutely not. I see how he's just treated all of his Notre Dame players that were playing for him with it when they had a chance to win a national championship. So how can you buy in to a program like that? Like that, it's not a good look optically. And there was another interesting story. Matt Lafleur was talking him and Robert Sala. Robert Sala was also talking because they used to be assistants for him. Brian Kelly, like, he's a very good head coach, and he has a lot. If you look at his assistant tree, some good coaches have come out of his programs. Robert Sala, Matt Lafleur are uh, two of them. They used to be assistants for him at Central Michigan. They got an invitation to they thought it was an invitation to a Christmas party that Brian Kelly's house. He gets over there and they found out as uh, these assistant coaches, they might have been graduate assistants at the time. Yeah, they weren't actually on the guest list. They got invited so they could do grunt work. They shoveled his driveway during it. Uh, I they were uh, grabbing ice. They were parking cars, <laughs> like. They were got invited to the party to work it, and that's not how you treat people. Like they, uh, they made a pact that like we are never when we get in a coaching position, we are never going to treat people like this. Okay, he's just not a good. He's not a good human being. I will def- like. You can. That is where it is fair game to criticize criticize him. You can't criticize him for like the move because most people would do the same thing too. And the timing has had to happen. This is an unfortunate reality of college football. Blame the sport of college football, not him for the timing of it, but. His people skills need some work. 
That I will say that it is fair to criticize them. Uh, other slightly big news: Adrian Martinez this is kind of more personal though, because a Nebraska fan. Adrian Martinez hitting the transfer portal. Another big name, Spencer Rattler for Oklahoma. Another guy hitting the transfer portal. Speaking of strictly on Adrian Martinez, I think I don't think Nebraska fans give this man his just due. He gets a lot more flack than he deserves, a lot. And I think you're gonna see uh, you, you're gonna miss him next year. And it's confusing, too, because the reason he transferred, I'm guessing, because I've been all accounts, he, he liked it in Nebraska. I think Scott Frost, they had a meeting with Scott Frost to discuss his future. I think by all accounts, it was, look, we want to go with a younger quarterback next year. We're going in a different direction. You're probably not going to start. And so he's like, I got one-year eligibility. I'm bouncing. You can understand that. Can't blame Adrian Martinez for that. But these Nebraska fans that are ripping him, I don't think they realize how dynamic their offense is with him. Like, if you listen to all these Big Ten coaches talk, they're like, yeah, they're a tough offense to game plan for because Adrian Martinez is a dual-threat quarterback. Like, you're missing a big element of that offense with him leaving. He kept him in a lot more games. And the big thing was like, oh, he wasn't clutch. He wasn't clutch. Which I understand. But there's other factors where those games shouldn't have even had to come down to the final drive. You know? He hung 29 points against Michigan's defense. Did you see what Michigan did this weekend against Ohio State? That's a good team. Martinez, single-handedly, he pretty much scored 29 points. Four touchdowns, ran for one. He played. He was absurd. Uh, I mean, Wisconsin, another great defense. Put up 28 against them. They they should have won that game. They were one pass interference play away from winning that game. Yeah, he's a good quarterback. I He, he gets way more flack from these Nebraska fans. I think you're going to miss him when he's gone. And I also think, I bet, that he would, I don't be surprised if he goes to another Big Ten team. It would pain me to say it, but there's a lot of coaches in the conference that give a lot of love to A.G. Martinez. You watch him in a school like Michigan or, or, excuse me, like Wisconsin or something. Imagine Wisconsin with a dual-threat quarterback. Good God. Last time they had one of those, the Russell Wilson days. You saw how dangerous they were then. You have them and Adrian Martinez. Ho, ho, look out. Look out. Because right now, this year, Wisconsin won eight games. They had a 17-year-old running back and that stiff Graham Mertz. You get an Adrian Martinez there, man. So as a Nebraska fan, thank you to Adrian Martinez. He did a lot for the program. These Nebraska fans that give him shit. I mean, in your historic football program, he leads also all the offensive records, all the passing records. Man's a good player. He will be missed. That's all I have to say about that. Now, other big news around the uh, the sports world, I should say, MLB free agency. I guess now there's now longer MLB free agency. CBA expired last night. So, we are in a work stoppage, which is brutal. I can understand why they're doing it. I was reading Robert Manfred's letter today, and what he said, and I don't like Rob Manfred as a commissioner. I think he's a clown. But what he said made a lot of sense. Look, it's frustrating this has to happen, but better that it happens now than closer to the season so they can there's a sense of urgency to get this done so it doesn't hinder the season i think there's going to be a sense of urgency from the player side and the owner side because they're going to lose a lot of money if the season doesn't happen so have to do this now so they can be ready for spring training and have games and so it's frustrating but i understand why it, it did happen it's going to be ugly there's really no good guys or bad guys on this side i think both sides is being st- stubborn pains in the asses but you know what are you going to do strictly from free agency though Matt, there it was it was crazy and the mlb needs more of this it's good for the fans that monday night afternoon it was like an nba free agency frenzy there was basically the equivalent of woes bombs going off i guess what do you call them Heyman, uh Heyman, uh i don't know no 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 good current, but we'll come up with something. we got to come up with a John Heyman equivalent of a Woj bomb. But uh, <laughs> Texas Rangers making a lot of noise, too. Everyone's all high on them. Sign Corey Seager for a lot of money, get Marcus Semien. They spent nearly half a billion dollars on their middle infield. Uh, 
And they also signed John Gray from the Rockies, too. Let me let me tell you, for all the money they spent, that team, don't, don't bet on them to win the division or anything. I think they're still the third or fourth best team in that division with all those moves. That was like some expensive moves to make them relevant, but they got no starting rotation. I mean, there's only two players there is not going to do that much. I don't understand why you trade Joey Gallo last year if your plan was to start spending money. Like, this team's not deep. There's a lack of depth. They don't have a good starting rotation. I don't – just because they added all these guys and it's nice, good for the Rangers, they got some relevant now, but that's going to be like A-Rod all over again. You're paying money for a big shortstop, and you're not going to win many games. They're the third best team in that division maybe the fourth if the A's weren't rebuilding and selling off everyone i think there's a there's a case to be made uh yeah that that's not going to help them so those that move those moves don't impress me all that much tigers you know you get javi Baez. the tigers are going to be an interesting team next year i think they won a couple games more than everyone thought so that that will be an interesting team that i think could hover around a wild card spot i don't think they're division ready i don't think they're beating the white Sox in that division but uh that Definitely interesting. The Mets, now, every year, the Mets seem to do this. They win the free agency. They win the offseason. Could this finally be the year the deals work out? They're paying Max Scherzer a lot of money. A lot. $43 million, not chump change, for three years, too. Uh, him and Jacob DeGrom is probably the best one-two punch in the history of baseball as far as the top end of the rotation goes, no doubt, in my mind. Does it push them over the top, though? I don't know. I don't, Starling Marte, another good addition they had. Um, but you, you always fall into this trap with the Mets. I mean, last year was the same thing. They always seem to win the offseason. They always spend a lot of money. They spend all this money on McCann. I'm still not going to be sold on the Mets until I see them actually win the division. So I am not jumping on the Mets hype train quite yet. I think you can throw money at a lot of your problems, but that doesn't mean it's going to necessarily solve all of them. We'll see. Because DeGrom's an excellent pitcher. But you saw they don't win a whole lot of games with them. So what makes me think that Max Scherzer is going to be any different if the offense doesn't produce? They had a couple nice additions, but you're losing a couple pieces too with Baez and Conforto possibly. So who knows? Not quite sold on on the Mets uh, yet either. But uh, yeah, a lot of big names flying, flying off the shelves. You know, one team that hasn't made many moves is the White Sox. And that's a little concerning for me because free agency, especially this time of the year, it's an arms race. They just got humiliated in the ALDS. You got to pay to play at some point. I get Reinsdorf's cheap, but you got a couple of glaring holes in right field and second base. The best second baseman on the market was Marcus Semien, and then after that, it's a real steep drop decline. So if you're going to let Cesar Hernandez go and say, we clearly want an upgrade, which is what that signaled, why wouldn't you go after the best on the market with Marcus Semien? Why not spend the money? And I didn't even hear their name in the mix for it. And now that he's off the board... Bias is off the board too. There's not a whole lot at second base where you're like, wow, this is like Eduardo Escobar is off the board as well. There's now the who's left? The Cesar Hernandez's of the world. I mean, you got Leary Garcia, so that was a little baffling to me. Right field, surprised that their name hasn't been in on Nicholas Castellanos a little bit more. Like they got to do something because as the roster is currently constructed, they're good. That's a division winning team, but like the window is open now. I'm surprised they didn't make more noise and free agency that was a little disappointing to see uh so i mean what are you gonna do let's see if there's a let's see what other big uh names there were of note carlos correa could go to the cubs speaking of the cubs i've actually liked what the cubs have done here uh marcus marcus stroman uh that that was a good addition that's a team that needs some uh 
help in the starting rotation. Is it going to make them contenders in that division? Probably not. I don't think they're beating the Cardinals, but at least they're exciting. You know, it'll put fans in the seats uh, for them. Let's see. Starling Marte with the Mets. We got that. Avi Garcia to Miami. Nothing that's moving the needle there. Robbie Ray with the Mariners. This, okay, this is another sneaky move because the Mariners also have a lot more. They got a lot more money to spend, too. I think they're going to get, I said in the last podcast, I think they're going to get Chris Bryant. That is my prediction for the Mariners. But uh, that's a good addition. That, that rotation was sneaky last year. Overall, very sneaky team. You get Robbie Ray in a five-year deal. I think that's a good move. That for they, they team that could use a little extra pitching. I like that for him. Kevin Gosman went to the Blue Jays. Good replacement for Robbie Ray. Corey Kluber with the Rays. The Rays always they always hanging around. So interesting free agency period. My big takeaway though is I I, I wish it was like this every year where you have all these moves happening at once and that's all. So hopefully the new CBA thing they can figure something out because. Uh, it's uh, MLB free agency usually drags. It's kind of boring, and that was I think it was surprisingly good for the game. And then I mean, it's all going to be undone because we're going to have a bunch of couple months with no action. So we shall see. All right, shifting into the NFL, we're going to get in our free money betting picks in a little bit. So stay tuned for that. Um, NFL news. Let's start with this: Mac Jones and the Patriots came up last podcast. Are the Patriots the best team in the AFC? They're starting to trend in that direction. Do I still think they are? Well, it'll be yet to be seen this week in their game against the Bills. I said no, but they are up there. They're climbing the ladder quickly. Um, and Mac Jones, the common theme with him is like he's in, a, and I've said this too. He's in a great situation, better than all the other rookie quarterbacks. This is why he is playing as well, and I, I do think that is true. He's in the best situation. He's in the best situation to succeed. He is capitalizing on it. I do. I think he's better than Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence will be and or are if they were in a better situation. No. But at some point, you do have to give the kid credit. And he is playing very well right now. He's playing good football. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the help he has, at some point, you got to give him credit. I mean, we'll give Patrick Mahomes all this credit for being a great quarterback. Look at the situation he's in. It's a lot better than Mac Jones's. You know, offensive-minded head coach, not a defensive-minded head coach, and a lot more weapons than Mac Jones has. Mac Jones has been balling. I think, regardless of the situation, you got to give him some credit. The two things can be true, and one of them is he's playing good. He is a good quarterback. You can win games with Mac Jones. He has him as a serious contender. I think you can win playoff games with Mac Jones. He's he's good. You can give him some credit. It's okay. To say Mac Jones is good. Because the narrative with Mac Jones is always, yeah, but it's because he's in a great situation. Justin Fields will be doing the same thing. Which I think is true, but would you prefer he's losing games? Then what would we be saying about him? At least he's doing his job. He is capitalizing on the good situation. He's playing well. Good for Mac Jones. Another quarterback, it's been kind of polarizing. Baker Mayfield. We've talked about him a lot in this show now, too. And I think the problem with Baker Mayfield... You watch the last game, the offense is anemic. It's like watching paint dry. They can't do much of anything. And Baker's hurt. And, you know, there's you got his running backs on COVID in and out of the lineup. And then Odell's gone now. So there's a lot of excuses you could use. And I actually think that last game against the Ravens, you watch it fully. That game was not completely on Baker Mayfield. He was doing, like, there was some drop passes, missed assignments, whatever. But... 
At some point, his shtick were, oh, yeah, I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm always the underdog. Like, it's got to stop. He's embarrassing himself. He's making things a lot worse for him by opening his mouth and saying dumb things in the media. Like, you were a first overall pick. You're not the underdog anymore. No one's overlooking. Like, you were the first overall pick in the NFL draft. At some point, you got to start playing like it. This whole, oh, everyone's overlooking me. Like, no, no. That shtick has worn thin. Him criticizing fans in his last press conference, I think, came across really stupid. He, uh, you know, he was snapping at reporters, too, asking him questions. Had, this was before the Ravens game, too. And then he went out there, and quite they didn't do much. He laid an egg. And I defend Baker Mayfield. I know he's injured. He's definitely not playing at full strength. But at some point, man, like, you got to have a little self-awareness. You brought this upon yourself. You're in a commercial... You're in every other damn commercial there is. We see every Sunday on the commercials and then on the field, and then you're snapping off at people. It's always like, oh, you know what? Like, no. Your first overall pick. You got to start acting and playing like it. Like, this is why you have no sympathy, is because you make an ass of yourself when you open your mouth in the media and you're complaining about this thing. Now you got other teammates ripping him. It's a mess there. And on the Browns, I think you look at the season and it's a serious dice. Like, I'm not paying this man any major contract. Absolutely not. Because he hasn't lived up to the standard there. It's kind of similar with like the Mac Jones, where he's in a good situation. And this is why I think you can give Mac Jones credit, too. Because both of them are in a really good situation. He has a great offensive linebacker, Mayfield. Even without Odell, the running game they have with Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And then on top of that, you got a pretty good tight end core. And then Joku and Landry. And like this is the offense they're producing? I mean, come on. Like, I could get Andy Dalton back there, and he can move the chains with that. He's doing a lot less. I mean, he's got a lot at his disposal. It's not, you know, it's ugly. So you got to stop this whole, oh, you know, everyone's overlooked. No, it's you. You are the problem right now. You are a first overall pick. Start playing like it. All right, let's get in to free money for this week. Now, We've been pretty good on the year, slightly over uh, 50%. We're a little over 500. How it's usually worked, when we have a winning week, the next week hasn't been as good. We had a winning week our last time out. So, we're looking to buck the trend. Another winning week. I actually really like, I'm pretty confident. I think we got three good ones here. Usually you're looking for numbers. I like I like some of these teams too. And we got some underdogs, which is always exciting. So, let's get into it. Take the Broncos over the Chiefs to cover. They're getting 9.5 points. That's a lot. It's in Kansas City, and Kansas City's coming off the bye. So I would not do Broncos' money line here. The Chiefs are probably going to win this game. Andy Reid is very good off a bye. But Broncos are playing with confidence. They're coming off an impressive win against the Chargers. L.A. was limited to just 13 points. Justin Herbert is dynamic. They have a big offense. You saw that Steelers game, primetime Sunday night. They came against out against the Broncos. They got shut down. So that's why I think they can keep this game close, which they will. Nine and a half is way too many points to give them. Denver's defense is only allowing 17.8 points per game this season. That is the third best mark in the league. They're also allowing an 82.7 quarterback rating, which is the third best in the league, and they are allowing the second best completion percentage. Or I should say the second worst completion percentage amongst uh, quarterbacks, which is the best for for defenses, second best in the NFL. They're very good against the pass. Patrick Sertain's been a stud. Simmons has been very good for him, too. Sertain this season, three interceptions, 47.1 completion percentage when they targeted, and a 60.1 rating. So I really like this Denver secondary. They're playing well. 
Meanwhile, the Chiefs have struggled against elite defenses like Denver. Patrick Mahomes and company, they're 0-3 against the spread versus teams that allow under 21 points per game. The Broncos fit that category. Mahomes has a rating under 91 in six of his last seven starts. Not necessarily playing well. And the Chiefs also have a tendency to get lax when they're playing at home. They're 1-5 against the spread at Arrowhead. And I think this is another instance that the market completely overvalues them. They're giving them way too big of a number. The Broncos are going to be in this game. Also, uh, they've averaged two turnovers per game at home. And Mahomes has never lit up the Broncos in his career. He's thrown just 10 touchdowns against them and 7 starts. So... I see some concern. The key for the Broncos is going to be running the ball. They have a good run game. Last week, 147 yards, 4.5 yards per carry, two touchdowns. They're going to need to do that, keep Mahomes off the field, but 9.5, way too many points. That's my favorite one of the line of the week, hammer the Broncos over the Chiefs. All right, another underdog. Steelers over the Ravens, plus four. Now look, Steelers are a hard team to embrace this time of year. This is more, I don't really buy the Ravens all that much. I think they're struggling a lot more too. I don't think they're the best team in that division, quite frankly. Their pass defense has not been good. They're allowing 13.5 yards per catch, which is the 32nd in the NFL. They're allowing 8, point, uh, or eight yards per attempt, which is 30th. They're giving up a lot of passing yards this year. Ravens offense is also struggling. Lamar had four interceptions last week, 46.5 rating. He's got nine interceptions his last five games. So he's turning the ball over a lot, and for a guy that's so fast, he gets sacked an awful lot too. Their whole line has not been good. The Ravens' offensive line is allowing 36 sacks this year, which is the 31st in the NFL, second worst in the league. So yeah, and that's like I said, with a mobile quarterback, so teams can get after him. Uh, so that that's a little concerning for the Ravens, and also the Mike Tomlin factor. Like I get the Steelers haven't looked good; they didn't look good last week. But Mike Tomlin, it seems like his teams every year they always find a way to hang around. You know, they're, they're always in the hunt for the playoffs. Division game, they just got embarrassed, and it's a well-coached team. When you have a well-coached team coming off a humiliating loss, they usually find a way to bounce back. You're getting points in this, too, with four. I like the Steelers to cover against the Ravens. Finally, take the Bills over the Patriots, and this is strictly because I like the team in this situation, and they're at home. Three points isn't that much to give up. Now, I get the Patriots have been hot. They've won six in a row, so they're due for a loss. That's my thinking. And last week, let's be honest, they got lucky they are playing a very banged-up Titans team. But Buffalo in December, yeah, sign me up. That's a tough place to play. And even for the Patriots, who are from Foxborough, so it's not like it's springtime over there, but Buffalo in December, January, it hits different. That is, like, one of the ultimate home field advantages. Look at this offense for the Bills. Josh Allen, the field general, not even having that great of a season by his standards. He's still throwing for 25 touchdowns. He's averaging 279.2 yards per game. Stephon Diggs has been a beast. 6.1 receptions, 77 yards per game, and 7 touchdowns. Their rushing defense, very good. They're averaging 4.6 yards as a unit, which is 5th best in the league, and a respectable uh, 11.8 yards per, uh, uh, excuse me, 100 111.8 111.8 yards per game, which is 11th, or, uh, 11th uh, in the league. So respectable 11th there. Uh, their pass defense, this is where the difference is going to be. And this is where you're going to really see what Mac Jones can do on the road, division opponent against a tough, tough defense. Buffalo's pass defense, they get or points per game, second in the league. Third down defense, second. Uh, red zone, uh, in the red zone, they're 11th. Their pass defense, 62.8 rating, first in the league. 5.7 yards per attempt, first in the league. 57.7 completion percentage, first in the league. 9.8 yards per carry or uh, yards per uh, catch, second in the league. 
Their pass rush is good. 21 sacks in 11 games. Uh, their pressure percentage is first in the NFL. Rookie quarterbacks with pressure, usually not a good combo. Patriots have allowed 24 sacks in 12 games. So, strength meets weakness. That's a lot of sacks. Uh, they're going to be coming after them. And the Buffalo rush defense, 3.9 yards per carry, which is second best in the league, and they're holding teams to 96.6 yards per game. Buffalo is just a better team. They're at home. Three is not that much to give. You're taking a superior team here, and I'll take Josh Allen over Mac Jones any day uh, with this season. Anyway, so those are the picks. Take the Bills over the Patriots, minus three, and then the two dogs, Steelers to cover against the Ravens, and the Broncos to cover, plus nine and a half against the Chiefs. There you have it, folks. That is all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week.